Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. There's a poem that was first published in America in 1865 by American poet William Ross Wallace. Now, you've probably never heard the poem or read the poem before, but I promise you that the most famous line from that poem, almost all of you will have heard before. Here's the most famous line from the poem. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Anybody ever heard that before? Right? Yeah, you probably don't know the rest of the poem, but you know that line. It's a line that praises motherhood as a preeminent force for change in the world. And that was brought to my attention again. I'm reading a book right now by a man named Bill Elif. Bill is a personal friend of mine who pastors a wonderful church in the state of Arkansas. And Bill has this book called The Presence-Centered Church. And it's, a, it's, it's deeply impacted my life. I just finished the book. And at the end of the book, Bill tells this little story about his family that I wanted to just share with you because it, it shows this principle of how God uses moms to change the world. Listen to this. He says, my great-grandmother was a simple farm wife. She and her young husband left eastern Tennessee in the 1800s to build a home in the Oklahoma Territory. Life was hard, and my great-grandmother became deathly ill. She pled with her husband not to let her die in this wild territory. He sold the farm, and they boarded a train in Fort Smith, Arkansas to head home. They changed trains in Little Rock and soon realized that she would not last much longer. They laid her out on a train seat. She called her husband to her side. He knelt beside her, and she was a follower of Christ, but her husband was an unbeliever. She said, I want you to promise me two things. One, that you'll give your life to Christ, and two, that you'll raise our daughter for Christ. And then she died. My great-grandmother's testimony was that he, or my great-grandfather's testimony was that he stayed on his knees a long time and he got up a Christian. He went home, buried his wife, and with his infant daughter in his arms, stood at the church and confessed his faith in Christ. He later married a Christian woman and they had several children. One was my grandfather who became a pastor. My grandfather had a boy and a girl. My boy, my father, or the boy, my father, became a pastor. 
Dad and mom had four children. The three boys all became pastors. And my sister married a pastor. The four of us have had 18 children at this point. 13 are either pastors or missionaries, married to a pastor or missionary, or preparing for ministry. All this came from one woman who experienced God's presence and helped her husband come to know the Christ she loved. My great-grandmother probably died thinking her life a failure, that she couldn't even lead her own husband to faith in Christ. But the presence of God through her life changed all of that. Only eternity will record the legacy she left for Christ. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Powerful testimony of how the life of one mom impacted generations to come. And think about it this way. This little lady who died on her way home from the Oklahoma Territory, I'm now having our entire lead team Read this book by Bill Eliff because it so impacted my life. It's beginning to shape some of the way that we think here at Hope, all because of the testimony of this one godly mom who'd never even heard of Las Vegas, Nevada. And yet here in 2016, God is still using her story. We desperately need a generation of godly moms that can be used by the Lord to change future generations. At Hope, typically on Mother's Day, I don't just preach to moms. We're normally in a series like we are right now. We're in a series right now called Blast from the Past, where we're looking at the book of 1 Samuel. But I just felt led of the Lord a few weeks ago as we look towards this weekend to deal with specifically the topic of moms today. I want to do it from Scripture. If you have your Bible, open it to 2 Timothy chapter 1. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is writing his last letter. The apostle Paul wrote 16 books in the New Testament. But this is the very last one he would write before he died. And in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy that God had raised up. He'd been an integral part of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He'd been involved in planting churches. He'd been involved in taking the gospel where it had never been before. But Paul, in the opening of this letter, gives us some insight into where Timothy's foundation of faith came from. Let's read it. First, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, According to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. You can hear in Paul's opening of this letter the tender affection that he had for Timothy. And he calls him his son. Timothy wasn't his physical son, but in a spiritual sense, Paul had been a discipler of Timothy, and, and he'd been a ministry partner with Timothy as they took the gospel all, literally all over the world. And Paul is writing with the, this emotion. And you can hear not only the deep impact that Paul's had in Timothy's life, 
but the impact that Timothy, in return, has now had in Paul's life. And look what he says in verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. You know, when you start thinking through the great characters of the New Testament, you think about names like, obviously, Jesus. You think about Peter. You think about the disciples. You think about Paul. If you keep running down the list, you get to names like Timothy, who were ministry partners of Paul. But I bet if we began a list today, nobody would even come up with the name Lois or Eunice as great heroes of the faith. They're not names that we hear about often. And like most of the time, the mom is kind of the backstory in the story. But there'd be no story without this mom and grandma. So I want you to look at three things out of their lives that I think are what a godly mom looks like. And we're doing this to, to, to look at what the Word of God has to say about being a godly mom. Here's the first one. A godly mom lives an example to be followed. A godly mom lives an example to be followed. Paul here is addressing the sincere faith of Timothy. He says, Timothy, I remember your sincere faith. It's a word that means genuine, real, authentic. It's the opposite of pretending. But here's what he said. He said, Timothy, before I saw it in you, let me tell you where I first saw it. I saw it in your mom and your grandma. That word first, he said it first dwelt in them. That's a word that that refers in the Greek language to chronology. It's about something that happened in sequence of time. He says, Timothy, before I ever saw it in you, I saw it first in your mom and your grandma. They'd lived a godly example that Timothy was able to follow. My friend Tony Marita wrote it this way. Look what he said. One cannot overstate the importance of living out the Christian life before watching children. Your children are watching. Even when you don't think they're paying attention. Even when you think their mind is a million miles away. They are paying attention. And you cannot overstate the significance of living a godly. The Bible says here that Timothy had seen this sincere faith... The word sincere, it's an interesting word. It's a Greek word that are two words put together. Part of the word is, the, is a word that, that means hypocrite. The other part is a prefix that means without, meaning that this, this idea of sincere literally means without hypocrisy. Let me kind of explain what that means. In the Greek culture, the theater was the centerpiece of their society. A lot of their culture was shaped A lot of the politics and the government and the the societal norms were shaped through the Greek and Roman theater. It's a centerpiece of their culture. And in the Greek and Roman theater, they didn't have all the technology that we have today. They didn't have screens where they could project images. They didn't have all the ability to amplify the audio. They didn't have lighting. And they didn't have all the things that we're able to enjoy today when we go to a theater. So what they would do to make sure that the audience could understand the emotion of what was taking place is they created masks 
and the, the actors on stage would wear masks that over-dramatized the emotion to make a point. Let me give you a, a picture of a couple of masks. This is kind of what they look like. They would wear these masks. There's no doubt the one on the left is happy. The one on the right is sad, right? You can look at these masks and you can see they would overemphasize the emotion so the person sitting farthest away could understand the emotion that was being communicated. And ultimately, the role of the mask allowed the actor or the actress to assume a role or an identity that was not their own so that they could perform for the audience's approval. Now, what happened over time is the Greek word for this wearing a mask, it's the Greek word hypocrites. Now, what that became is our English word hypocrite. In Greek culture, the actor on the stage that was pretending to be something that they weren't was called a hypocrite. Over time, that began to be a regularly used term in Greek society for anybody that pretended to be something that they weren't. They called them a hypocrite. And that's now down into our day-to-day. Somebody that pretends to be something that they're not, what do we call them? That's a hypocrite. Well, this word sincere is that word hypocrite with the prefix without attached to it. Sincere faith means without hypocrisy, meaning it's not pretend. I'm not going to church on Sunday and putting on this big church face and then Monday through Saturday living some other way. Paul says, Timothy, I saw in your mom and grandma a godly, genuine, real, authentic Not just Sunday only, but every moment of every day, faith. A godly mom lives an example that can be followed. I saw that kind of example in my parents. I grew up in a pastor's home. I've told you that before. My mom and dad were first-generation Christians, meaning they're the first Christians in their family. And growing up a a pastor's kid, you know, you get that kind of title. They call you the PK, the preacher's kid. And preacher's kids can kind of have a bad reputation sometimes because a lot of them hadn't turned out too great. And I think the reason is because a lot of preacher's kids see a mom and dad at church that live one way. And then they get home and see a mom and dad that live totally different. And the lack of genuine, authentic reality in their faith drives them from the gospel instead of invites them to the gospel. Mom and dad, that's not just reserved for the lives of preachers. If you talk one thing out of your mouth and you show one thing on Sunday and it doesn't connect with who you are Monday through Saturday, listen, if your faith is not genuine, one of the first places it will show up is in the lives of your children. A sincere faith. You say, what does that look like? Well, let me just list you a few examples. Here's some components. We could spend a long time going through all the scripture talking about the components of a godly life. But as it pertains to a mom, let me give you three. Number one, pursuing Christ. Above everything else, if you're going to live a godly example for your kids, you need to pursue Jesus Christ. The greatest thing you can give your children is that you pursue Jesus more than you pursue anything else in your life. You say, what does that look like? We spent the first quarter of this year unpacking that. Abiding in Christ personally and daily. Connecting in community, large group and small group. Sharing in the mission locally and globally. As a mom, you should seek to pursue Jesus by abiding, connecting, and sharing. And let me just challenge you as a mom. Moms never allow motherhood to be the excuse why you cannot faithfully follow Jesus. 
I understand that motherhood is a challenging season of life. And some aspects of following Jesus are going to look different when mom is the primary responsibility that you're feeling. But never let that be the excuse why you can't abide in Christ, connect in community, and share in the mission. I grew up, I told you, in a home of first-generation Christians. My parents were not perfect people, but they were the same imperfect people at home that they were at church. So my brother and I saw a real, genuine, authentic faith. And one thing that sticks out in my mind, I'll never forget it. As from the time I was old enough to be aware of what was happening, when I would get up in the morning and come out of my room on my own, I don't ever remember a morning in my life that I walked out of my room that I didn't see my mom sitting in the same chair with the same Bible and the same notebook in the presence of the Lord, just pursuing Christ daily. A second thing it looks like to live this godly example is prioritizing family. Prioritizing family. We're living in a day when the enemy's attack is on the home and on the family like never before. And one of our enemy's primary weapons is in downplaying the significance and importance of prioritizing family in our daily life, specifically the role of mom. Now, before you tune me out, I'm not up here as some old-fashioned Bible thumper saying that moms can't have careers outside of the home. That is not what I'm saying. Did you hear me? Don't send me that email. That is not what I'm saying, okay? Matter of fact, if you go over to Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31 is one of the defining statements in Scripture about the role of a godly woman, a godly mom, and a godly wife. And you'd be hard-pressed to prove with Proverbs 31 that that woman in Proverbs 31 didn't have several business affairs outside of the home that she was involved in, where she was, where she was creating things and selling them in the marketplace. There were several business ventures that she was involved in. But as you read Proverbs 31, 12 of the 21 verses that are listed describing the godly woman list her as giving priority to the care of her family above anything else. Here's the point. The first priority in the life of every mom, and by the way, dad, is the discipling of the home. Anything, hear me, anything that is a hindrance to that primary calling should be avoided. So this godly example is pursuing Christ. It's prioritizing the family. And number three, it's Pouring into other women. This is what it looks like to share in the mission. Starting right where you are. All of us as followers of Jesus have been called to make disciples. One of the ways moms can begin to make disciples is by investing in the lives of younger women. The next generation of moms that are coming up. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Titus chapter 2 verse 3. Look at it. Look at it on the screen. Older women. Now I know I lost some of you right there. All right. I know some of you read the first word and thought, whew, that's not me, older women. What's he talking about up there, older women? Now, before you, you, you get angry with me, first of all, I didn't write this. I'm just reading it, all right? God wrote it. But secondly, he didn't say old women. He said older women. 
And he's contrasting it with what he's going to say in a minute, young women, which is the Greek word for new. And what he's really referring to here is life experience, season of life. He's addressing women that have lived a little bit further through some life experience and challenging them to reach back and invest in the ladies that are coming behind them. Let's read it. Older women... Likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So here's the first principle. A godly mom is to live a life That's an example to be followed. Here's what it looks like. Pursuing Christ, prioritizing family, pouring into other women as some basic components. Let me give you the second thing this morning. A godly mom lays a foundation of Scripture to be used by the Holy Spirit. You say, where do you see that in these verses? Well, turn over a chapter in the letter to chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. And look what the scripture says. It says, you, however, continue. Again, he's addressing Timothy. You continue in the things that you have. What does it say? Learned, right? You continue in what you've learned. That word learned there is, is the Greek word that we get the English word disciple from. He says, Timothy, in the things that you've been discipled, you continue And become convinced of knowing from whom you learned them. Well, who do you learn them from? Look at verse 15. From childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This word childhood, again, an interesting word. There are three different words for the word child or children used in the New Testament. One of them is a word that's the Greek word technon. It refers to children that we would consider like elementary school age children. The other is the word paideon. We get our English word pediatrics from it. It refers to toddlers. But this word is neither of those words. This word childhood is the word for infant or newborn baby. It's the same word in Luke chapter 2 and verse 12 that says you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. It's the same word in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 that says you and I are like newborn babies and we're to long for the pure milk of the word. Here's the point of what he's saying. Timothy, your mom and your grandmom Before you were old enough to walk, talk, speak, or even eat on your own, when you were still an infant, they began to lay a foundation of the Scripture. They gave priority to the Word of God in your life. And here's what he said, Timothy, that's the very Scripture that later on in life, the Holy Spirit used to convince you of who he is and to draw you to a saving faith in Christ. I know, Mom. Listen, there are days when those little ones, you're saying it, you're speaking it, and you don't think they're getting any of it. You think it's just in one ear and out another. Here's what the Bible says. The scripture that you give priority to in the lives of your kids is the very scripture that one day the Holy Spirit of God is going to use 
in the depths of their soul to begin to have a conversation with them and convince them about who he is and the reality of his salvation. I'll give an example from my life. When I was a little bitty boy, my mom was very involved in children's ministry my whole life. But when, she was, when I was a little boy, she, one of the things that she always had us do, along with others in children's ministry, was, was she had us memorize Scripture. And when I was a little kid, I hated it. I didn't like it at all. She had the flannel graph boards and the flannel graph things, and she'd make us memorize these verses. And, and one of the verses my mom had me memorize when I was a little boy was, was Psalm 23.1, about, about the Lord being our shepherd. And, and she had me memorize that one. Literally, I was probably three or four years old, and I learned that verse of Scripture. Well, fast forward. I got married when I was 20. My wife's sitting right over here on the front. She was 19. We got married. And we had this plan. We were in college. We had this plan. We were going to wait five years and have kids, get our family established. And three months after we got married, we got pregnant with our first child. And I went into panic mode. We were at that time living on, on campus at, a, at the university where I was attending in the married student dorm, which was 800 square feet, two-story. Imagine that. 800 square feet split in half. You could literally turn around and touch all four walls in this place. I mean, it was a small little place. We didn't have enough money. I, I, was, I was going to class without purchasing textbooks because I couldn't afford them. I was just having to take good notes. That's how broke we were. And now here a baby's coming into our lives, and I'm in full-on panic mode. How am I? I don't even know how to provide for us, much less a daughter that's coming into this world. And I was driving across O'Neill Bridge in Florence, Alabama, all by myself, having this conversation with God, laying my anxiety on the table, and out of nowhere... In my soul, I heard the Holy Spirit say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And the peace of God just flooded. You know what happened? A scripture that my mom had laid on my heart years ago. The Holy Spirit used that to convince me of who he is. And so what I want to do this morning is give you some practical examples of what that looks like. And I've asked some ladies to help me. So I'm going to invite our five lead team pastor's wives to all come up here and join me for a minute on stage. So would you welcome all of them up here this morning? Come on up, ladies. I had to pray about this for a long time before I was brave enough to, to do this today. But no, all kidding aside, I wanted to take just a moment before I ask them a question. You get to see the five. We have many pastors on our team, but there are five of us, what we call our lead team. That's our plurality of elders. And you get to see us teach and lead in worship. And, and we're highly visible in the life of our church. But you need to understand that alongside of every one of us is a godly wife and mom, and we would not be who we are or able to do what we do without them. And these five ladies that are sitting up here beside me today are examples of everything that we are teaching about this morning. These are godly women who love Jesus, they love their husbands, they love their kids, and they're living an example. And just in front of our whole church, I wanted to just say thank you to all five of you for being the example that you are.
And since I have absolutely no expertise in being a mom, I wanted to bring some experts to the stage this morning. And I want to ask you a question that I want you to answer for all of the folks here today that will help give us some practical examples about prioritizing Scripture. So, so here's the question. What is one practical example how you prioritize Scripture in your family. We're talking about giving Scripture priority. How's one way that you do that practically? And Christy, this is my wife, Christy. I'll put you on the spot and make you go first. He really did have to pray about it. I'm not kidding. Um, No, for me, it was really simple. When our children were um, small, it began really with a, a cork board that I went to the store and bought and would put missionary names on that board and Scripture on there. And uh, I'd have the kids pick a name, and we'd just pray over those missionaries and scripture. Um, and over time, as it has evolved, um, I've always kept scripture visible in our home. And so that has looked different throughout the years, but the more recent years was, uh, I love uh, chalkboard paint has come into play in, in our society, I love it. And so I decided to paint a wall in our home with the chalkboard paint. And, um, yeah, that was awesome. And so, anyway, um, as the Lord has just led, honestly, from my personal devotion time, uh, God will just show me a a scripture in the Word that I'll write up on the board. And it'll be up there for a week. It'll be up there for a month sometimes. It's just up there to be visible for our family to see on a daily basis. Awesome. Well, next is uh, Crystal. This is Pastor Tom's wife. And uh, Crystal, how would you answer that question about prioritizing Scripture? Well, Tom and I have five kids, uh, ranging in age from 12 to 22, um, and nothing brings us greater joy than to realize that our children are walking in the truth of God's Word. But as a new mom, I can remember that nothing gave me greater concern than the realization that it was our responsibility to train them up in the way that they should go. So you can imagine the peace that flooded my heart when I was first introduced to James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That verse caused me to start praying scripture, not only for myself as a mom and a wife, but for my husband as a father and a dad and a pastor, but especially for my children as they begin to grow through these stages and start making decisions that would not only affect them, but their future families as well. Awesome. Crystal, thank you. Amen. <laughs> next, next is Shar, and this is Pastor Travis's wife. Shar, how would you answer that question about prioritizing Scripture in your family? Well, I am uh, the one up here that is still living in the world of diapers right now and um, where it is a joke to make plans for the day, right? Um, And so um, the way that I prioritize scripture and practically use it in um, our family is um, I seek to live out Deuteronomy 6 uh, where it says for us to, as parents, um, diligently teach and talk with our kids about God's truths and um, in the everyday routine of life, um, in the sitting at home and in the going and the rising up and the going to bed. And uh, when, when I do that, um, my goal is to uh, take God's scripture and connect the dots between what God's scripture says and how their little 
uh, sweet little precious minds can grasp it. And so uh, an example is my, uh, when we're driving, going to the grocery store, um, I'll notice the mountains because the mountains are so pretty here. And um, we'll point them out to my three-year-old in the back. And uh, my one-year-old's back there listening. She obviously can't respond, but she's hearing. And um, just, hey, you know, do you see those mountains? Who, who made the mountains? God made the mountains. Um, and then we'll go through different things. Who made the sun? God made the sun. Who made you? God made you. And um, so even though I'm not sitting there opening up the scripture and specifically pointing it out in like that moment, I know that she's understanding what God's truth is saying um, about her. And um, so, yeah, I, uh, I, I feel like um, in those moments, um, my prayer and my hope is that uh, those God's truths are being rooted deep in their hearts. Awesome. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Next, we have Pastor Teddy's wife, Pam. Pam, how would you answer that question? You yes. got a fan over here. <laughs> the Pam Johnson Pastor, fan club. <laughs> Pastor Vance, I think um, looking at scripture and um, reflecting on the question, how do I prioritize that in my family's life? I think I need to um, first place the purpose and an understanding of that. I believe that scripture in itself is a roadmap to truth. Um, it's a thoroughfare to the mind of God, um, and it's also a guard gate over our hearts. And with that understanding, um, scripture at the forefront of our family's life, every day I incorporate scripture and Luke 2.52 is that focused scripture that I use for our family um, as Jesus grew in wisdom and in knowledge and in favor with God and men. I pray that over our family. Um, there are times when you're getting out in the morning and you guys, uh, to make it very practical, um, when we're going through the car, riding on the way to school, if I'm rushing and frustrated, and that's usually not very often. <laughs> However, um, if I'm frustrated and we're moving quickly, then I'll just out the car say, Jira, Luke 2.52. And then he'll remember, and we just continue to pray that as a covering over their life. Um, and in addition to that, you know, I just continue to pray that throughout the day for our family. That's awesome. Thank you, Pam. Amen. And then last but not least, we have Jessica. This is Pastor Brian's wife. Jessica, how would you answer that question about prioritizing Scripture? Um, well, I have four kids, um, two um, by adoption, and my older two um, are my stepkids. And a question that my adopted kids, I believe a question that they'll frequently need answered in their life is, um, am I good enough? And um, um, Psalm 139 talks about how they are fearfully and wonderfully made, and the Lord says that um, uh, we are supposed to praise him for that, and we know that his works are good, and we know it full well. And so for me to help them know that fully well, um, I have it on a screensaver on my phone right now because I look at my phone about 20 times a day when I just check text. So that comes up for me to remember to tell them um, it's written on our mirror right now um, and an expo marker because that erases. <laughs> and um, it's I'm going to put it in their pencil box this week, so I know they have to open that up, um, and also in their lunch um, just to continue to encourage them. They're gonna, I know that they're going to need that over and over again. So that's the verse I'm using right now for that. Um, and I remember when my stepkids who are in college now, um, one day one of them came into the house and said, Jessica, you're not going to believe this. My mom, she made me do all these chores, and she's so harsh, and I can't believe I had to work for two hours. And I just stopped, and I said, how does what you just said, line up with what Ephesians 
says that we're not supposed to let any unwholesome talk come from our mouth. We're supposed to say things that are edifying and good for the moment. And while they were thinking about it, I tried to do the, the sincere faith thing, and I tried to model the other part for them, and I said, you know what? Your mom loves you so much, and she loves you enough to get up and make you do those chores. I admire her and her persistency with you guys. Just think how hard you're going to work one day. And I didn't say it sarcastically. I really was serious. And they just begin, we just begin to model Ephesians 4.29, both Brian and I and our household when they would come from from house to house, and it, we allowed them to, to keep us accountable too, and it was just so neat to see, um, see that trans, how the transparency, like what you said with your parents, you know what, we're, we're not perfect at church, we're not perfect at home, um, and I hope we continue to do that for our younger kids as well. That's awesome. Would you thank all these ladies this morning? Thank you, ladies. So there I wanted to give you some practical examples and I hope you heard the variety there. Sometimes it's about just making Scripture visible in your home. Other times it's about finding key Scriptures that you can pray over your children and your family. Listen, there's nothing better you can pray over your children and family than the Word of God. The Word of God is the will of God. You heard them talk about using the Word of God to encourage, using the Word of God to uh, help them understand their identity and practical every day. You, talked to, you heard them talk about using the Word of God to challenge and to confront and to bring correction. All of that is ways that you can give priority to the Scripture. And here's what the Bible says. As you do that, the Holy Spirit will take that Scripture that you're planting in their lives, even though I know right now you think they're not hearing it. The Holy Spirit of God's planting it. And He'll use that to have God conversations with them. In the future, let me give you the last thing we're done. A godly mom provides wisdom for life's tough choices. A godly mom provides wisdom for life's tough choices. Now, to unpack this, I want to turn over to the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, and I want you to listen to what the writer of Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 it says, My son, observe the commandment of your father. And do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Now, the word teaching here, interesting Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word Torah. If you know any Hebrew words at all, you probably know that one. It's the word that refers to the law of God. And he's talking here about the responsibility of both moms and dads. But here he's addressing moms in particular. And your responsibility to plant the law, the word of God, the, the, the boundaries, the parameters of God's law. Because we understand as Christians, God's law is not God trying to rob us of all the joy and the pleasure of life. When God says, don't do something, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. When God says, do something, he's saying, help yourself. And so what the scripture is talking about here is the responsibility of a mom to constantly bring the law of God and the practical application of those boundaries to the everyday life situations that your kids face. And look what it says. 21, verse 21, bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. When they walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. As you take those everyday life opportunities to teach 
the boundaries, the parameters, the law of God and lay that down for your kids. What he's really talking about here is this principle of you being their parent and not just their friend. I promise you, if you will be their parent today, they will be your friend for life. If you will pour into them the boundaries and parameters that are established in God's Word, you say, Pastor, I'm a mom. I don't have time to do this kind of stuff. Listen, let me show you what Shar was talking about a moment ago. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You know what those are? Those are just the normal part of the rhythm of everyday life. He's not talking about some classroom exercise where you do Bible studies with your kids. Nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful. It's great. Look for opportunities to do that. But the principle that I'm talking about here is taking everyday rhythm of life moments and using them to teach your kids boundaries and parameters that God can use to give them wisdom as they face life's tough choices. And did you hear the promise? They'll guide them. They'll talk to them. They'll watch over them. As you do that, you're giving them that wisdom. So let me close it today by giving you as moms a challenge. Okay, here's the challenge. I'm going to give it to you in threefold. Number one. If you're here today and you're not yet a mom, but you desire to be a mom, here's the word for you. Resolve. Resolve today that should the Lord ever give you that opportunity to be a mom, resolve that you are going to be a godly mom who lives an example to be followed, who lays a foundation of Scripture that the Spirit can use, and who imparts wisdom that that, that brings the law of God to bear in those everyday life situations. Resolve that you're going to be that kind of mom. Secondly, I want to talk to those of you moms who are currently in that season where your life is defined by that role of being a mom. Today, a mom is primarily your task. Two words for you. Number one, if you're, that, if you're living in the role of being mom right now and you are a godly mom, here's the word for you. Remain. Remain. Keep on keeping on. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what society says. You keep on keeping on living out these principles of being a godly mom. Remain. But if you're in that season where your life's defined as a mom and you've heard God's word today and you're not... A godly mom, here's the word for you today. Repent. Repentance is simply acknowledging the truth of God and bringing your life into conformity to God's word. And hear this. It's never too late to let them see the difference Jesus can make in your life. You may be sitting here and you may feel guilty because so much time has passed and you didn't know these principles and you hadn't been... Listen, it's never too late to let them see the difference Jesus can make. Maybe 
You've been in this role and you've been trying to be more the friend than the parent. Listen, today you can repent and get your life in, in, in line with God's word. Maybe you're a single mom and the demands of your schedule have just been overwhelming and, and you just need to come back into line. Maybe you look at your life and there was a time when you were more of a godly mom than you are right now. Doesn't matter where you are today. The words repent. Just come back into conformity with God's word. Then here's the third application. To those of you who are moms, but you're now in a different season. Maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you got grandkids. Here's the, here's the word or phrase for you. Reach back. Reach back from either success or failure and lead other moms to be godly. Some of you may think, Pastor, I, I came to Christ late. I didn't know any of this. What, what in the world could I have to offer somebody? Listen, have a man that meets with me on a regular basis. And when we started meeting together, you know what he told me? He said, Vance, I didn't come to Christ till very late in life. And I made a ton of mistakes as a husband and a dad. And I want you to learn from my mistakes so you don't have to make some of the same ones. And for years now, we've been meeting together, and he's been pouring wisdom. He saved me so many scars and so much pain in my own life just by speaking truth. You know what he did? He reached back, even from failure, and poured into the life of a younger dad and husband who was coming along behind him. Whether it's success for you or whether it's failure, doesn't matter. You can reach back and lead others to live a godly life. So that's the challenge to moms. Now let me close it by speaking to all of us for just a minute. Because we've been focused on moms today. It's Mother's Day. But the reality is all of us as followers of Jesus are called to live godly lives. And there's an element in these principles that's really true for all of us. We're all to live a life that can be an example for others to follow. We're all to lay a foundation of Scripture in the lives of others. And we're all to, to teach wisdom, to bring others through life's tough choices. We're all to pursue Christ first. We're all to pour into the lives of others. We're all to give priority to the biblical values that God's Word's given us. So here's the, the challenge to all of us. Are you living a godly life? Can these things be said of you? If someone was writing a letter today to someone that you have a relationship with, could they say, hey, before I saw it in them, I first saw it in you. Are you living a godly life? And godliness begins in the gospel. None of us can live the kind of life we've described in our own strength. You see, it's only Christ in us living through us that allows us to accomplish anything that we've talked about today. The gospel says that you and I have all sinned against God. The gospel says that because of our sin, we're separated from a relationship with God. But the gospel says that God loved us so much that he wouldn't let us stay there. So he sent his son Jesus into the world. Jesus lived a sinless life. And then he offered that body on a cross for your sin and my sin. And on the cross, Jesus died for our sin, but he didn't stay dead. Amen? He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins so that now you and I could not only be forgiven of our sin, but we can find life in Christ, godly life in him, Christ in us living through us. And that's what it looks like to live a godly life.